let's start with Thessalonians now. How many of you have read Thessalonians before? All right, great book. It's a really, uh, uh, really a lot of great stuff in there. Paul is the writer of Thessalonians, and so for maybe those of you that are new in the Bible, maybe you've never read this, uh, this book before, I just wanted to give you an introduction, really help you understand where we are in, in history, uh, also in uh, the church, because this is a new time, this is a new founding of the church here in, in the Bible, and so I just want to give you a little backdrop. So Thessalonians is, is a church that Paul planted. It's a part of the, uh, uh, he had some missionary journeys, three of them in total, and uh, this is his second missionary journey. He went to a, uh, a town or a city called Thessalonica, and this is where he began to reach uh, some people in this area, and then he planted the church of Thessalonians. And so this is where we see uh, Paul writing a letter to the church a little bit later. He's not actually in the city. He's in a city called Corinth, and he's writing a letter to the church. But before we kind of jump into Thessalonians, I just want to give you a backdrop of where we're at. If you know anything about the Bible, uh, Jesus uh, was, came to the earth from heaven to earth, it wasn't like he was born and created then. He's always been, God's always been, but he came as a human at uh, zero. He lived on earth from zero to AD 33. Uh, Thessalonians was written in AD 49, so you can see it's a little bit of a time after Jesus, but if you uh, know anything about, we're coming up on Easter, so Jesus raised from the dead. He appeared to the disciples in, in AD 33, 34. Uh, he uh, appeared to them for 40 days, and then he uh, ascended into heaven, and he's still alive today, ruling from heaven at the right hand of the Father, and so he's still engaged actively in everything that happens on the earth, um, and so that was right around 33 or 34, and then he sent the, the disciples at that time out to spread the gospel, and so they started in Jerusalem, but if, you, if you've ever read the book of Acts, there was also a man named Paul. His name was Saul before he was converted. Uh, Saul was a, a, a huge leader in the religious Sadducees, Pharisees. He was a big leader in the religious sect there, um, but he didn't really know Jesus as the Messiah, and, and along his way, he was on a road in Damascus, and he met Jesus. Actually, Jesus spoke to him from heaven, and he, was, uh, he received Jesus as Lord at that moment, and then he went away for a couple years where he was discipled uh, by a man, and he was, was there for about two or three years, uh, and then God gave him the, the plan or the purpose uh, to specifically take the gospel to the Gentile nations. So that was Paul's. Now, Paul was a Jew, uh, so he could speak to a Jew and to the Jerusalem and to the, uh, to the different synagogues as Jesus did because uh, he was a Jew. He, he understood tradition. He was one of the religious leaders, so he understood every Jewish custom and tradition in the Old Testament really well. Uh, but his main mission from God was to take the gospel to the Gentile nations, and that's what Paul did. And so Paul, uh, and you'll see this in Acts, had three different journeys, and I want to read a portion of of uh, the second journey, of the, or when he arrived in Thessalonia in Acts chapter 17. Let's read it together, and this will help you kind of understand the culture, maybe the atmosphere that they were in at that time, uh, and also uh, kind of sets you a good backdrop before we get into the book. Um, here's what it says, starting in verse 1 of chapter 17. It says, Now when they had passed through uh, Amphiolus and, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths, or three, three weeks, reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that, the, that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ, or is the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, uh, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded became envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, which was one of the disciples, and sought to bring them out to the people. 
But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren up to the rulers of the city, crying out, those who have turned this world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, speaking of Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And so now you, you can kind of see this is, this is where we're at in history. Uh, the church is new. Uh, Paul and Silas and many of the disciples are preaching the gospel in different synagogues in different cities. Uh, so they're in a city called Thessal- Thessalonica. And they're in the synagogue for three weeks Preaching Jesus, preaching the gospel, preaching that Jesus is the Messiah that you've been waiting for. You're speaking to a Jewish audience in the synagogues. And so he's reasoning with them through the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, showing that Jesus is the Christ. And some of them uh, received Jesus. Some of them got saved. And some of them began to follow Paul and follow Silas. And this is where the the church of Thessalonica was born. Uh, this is where Thessalonians comes from. This was this initial journey that Paul took. It was his second journey. He went to different cities. Uh, but in the second journey, he went to Thessalonica. And this is when he began to preach the gospel. And the church of Thessalonians was born. All right. So this is kind of where we're at. But as you can see, there's a lot of tension, isn't there? There's a lot of tension between the Jews, uh, the Jewish church, the synagogues. There's a lot of tension between the religious leaders because they have a problem with Paul and the disciples saying Jesus is the king when they only see Caesar as the king. And so they see a, there's a tension there, and you see that they're actually, uh, they would take uh, families like Jason and disciples, and they would, they would arrest them. They'd put them in uh, through persecution. There's many things that would happen. They would manipulate and control and use power and use the government if they needed to, to get people to persuade, to get away from Christ. Uh, so whether it was the government or the Jews, the Jews had a real problem with the Gentiles receiving salvation, receiving the grace of Christ. And so one of the reasons they had a problem with it was the Gentiles weren't circumcised. And so they believed at that time at AD 49 that the Gentiles could not receive Christ. They couldn't be saved. They couldn't receive the Holy Spirit because they weren't circumcised like they were. And they made this about circumcision. Now all through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, uh, Jesus has taught that you can be circumcised physically but not be circumcised in your heart. Not be living for God or looking to God. Although you may physically be circumcised, uh, your heart isn't right with God. And so he's spoken about this many times, both in the Old Testament and New Testament. But they really created a huge problem for the Gentile church by saying, you cannot follow God because of your uncircumcision. And this was a huge debate. It was a huge issue uh, for especially the the new Gentile churches that were being planted. Um, In AD 50... Uh, well, I'll share this later. Uh, so that's kind of where we're at. So I got some pictures I wanted to show you. Um, so here's, um, here's Thessalonica. Here's where it is, if, you know, if you've never seen this before. Uh, so this is a map. So the boot is Italy. And so the Roman church, the Rome, uh, is obviously in Italy. So Rome had a lot of control over these, these areas at this time. But this is the time when things started to break away, where Roman was, Rome was no longer under control of every area. They were still heavily influenced, so the government was still... Uh, it looked like Rome, but they were no longer under the control uh, or the dictatorship of Rome at this time. So Thessalonica was a, a Gentile, a Greek city. It was full of, of Jews, Greeks, Romans. Uh, so it was a mixture. Uh, they worshiped false gods. Uh, so you'll see a lot of uh, idolatry, sta- uh, worshiping statues, 
uh, worshiping government, sp- specifically Caesar, uh, many false gods, and so that would have been the church of Thessalonica. So you can see why Paul has a huge passion to go in and bring the gospel of Jesus, because there's just a lot of, of uh, division and there's a lot of confusion about what you worship. And so Thessalonica is located, uh, I don't know if you can see that back there, but it's located right here. Uh, Philippi is here, so Paul would have went from Philippi to Thessalonica, and now he went to Corinth, which is about 400 miles away from Thessalonica, so that's where he's writing from uh, this book. Uh, and so that's kind of where we are in his journey. Uh, next picture, here's a picture of Thessalonica, or the, the, the city, uh, Thessalonica. You can see it's a, it's a port city. It's right on the ocean, or the Aegean Sea, I should say. And so a lot of, uh, a lot of trading and different things would have came through that town. It would have been a very busy town. It was actually uh, one of Rome's main, one of their main thoroughfares. In fact, you, you've all heard, every ro- all roads lead to there was actually a, Rome, a road that went from Rome to Thessalonica. Uh, so it was a big trade route for them, uh, both on land and through the sea. Uh, so, uh, so it was still a major, uh, major thoroughfare for Rome, and the relationship was very strong between those two places. So, uh, so there you go. There, that's how you can see where it is, where we're at in history. We're, again, AD, AD 49, somewhere around there, most theologians believe uh, the book of Thessalonians was written. Uh, and so uh, that's kind of where we're at. But you can see that there's a lot of tension so even though the church is, is growing, the, ch- the church is going out into the Gentile nations and Paul is planting the churches, you see that the churches uh, themselves, uh, it, you know, although it's, it's exciting and it's, it's, God's doing a great work in many different cities, you can also see there's a lot of persecution, there's a lot of tension, there's a lot of people that don't want the church to succeed, uh, and that's kind of where we're at. And so uh, the same is happening then. Uh, you know, similar today, maybe we don't see that kind of persecution, but, uh, but we can see that the enemy is trying to stop the kingdom of God. He's trying to stop the church. We all know Jesus is the head. We don't need to be concerned about the enemy, uh, but you do need to see that's where the tension comes in. Uh, we don't fight against flesh and blood people, uh, but we do understand that powers and principalities, the enemy himself will influence people to project his mission. And so, uh, but God himself is also uh, sending the Holy Spirit to his people uh, to project his kingdom work. And so that's kind of where we are at in Thessalonians in AD 49. Uh, Keep in mind AD 50, I'll talk about that later. Uh, You'll find it in uh, Acts chapter 15. You can read about that later. Uh, But a major thing happened, but before I talk about that, uh, I just want you to see where we are. And then I want you to see one of the things that we can learn about Thessalonians is the importance of godly counsel. Now, we've been in a, uh, a vision series from 2019. We, we gave this vision in uh, January, and so if you're new with us, uh, really, God's really spoken to us about making sure that we're a strong uh, community of believers, that we're a strong family, is, is really what we see. That's what you see in the church from Acts till Thessalonians till today. It's very important that we're all united uh, on, the, on one purpose, and that's for the gospel of Christ. Now, we all have different gifts. We all have different uh, passions, desires. We're all good at different things, and that's a great thing. I, I love God made us all, and he made us all differently. We're all unique. Uh, that's why we love this growth track, Step 2. Uh, if you've never been through that, we have a great, uh, great program and a great book that we go through called Strengths Finder. Uh, our goal is to understand how God has designed us all uniquely and individually and how that comes together as one body. So even though we're all different and have unique passions and desires and gifts and talents, God is able to bring us all together as his family, and we all operate with different, uh, different priorities, different functions, but we're all, we all need each other. 
That's the importance of the body of Christ, is that maybe you're an arm, maybe you're a leg, maybe you're an eye. None of us are the head. Jesus is the head, but we're the body. And so God is using us all with our unique gifts and talents that he's given to us to advance the kingdom of God, to make sure that his gospel, to make sure that his truth has is, is gone into all of the nations, both Jewish, both Gentile, uh, every city all over the world. That's, that's our mandate from God himself. Uh, and so uh, that's kind of, that's really what's happening in the book of Thessalonians, and that's what Paul is speaking to, to us and to them at the time. Now, uh, the reason why I say godly counsel, I really believe it, this is what you're going to see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, is Paul writing to the church. Now, it's important that we all have godly counsel, and maybe, uh, maybe this will be new for you. Maybe you don't have that in your life. I just encourage you, this is why we uh, gather together on Sunday. This is why we have life groups. This is why we do ministry together, uh, because we need one another. And it's so important that you have somebody that uh, has God's heart uh, in him and in her, and they're also there for you. It's to remind you. It's not there to thump you over the head with the Bible, although we do need correction at times. Uh, It's really there to keep the truth in front of you, to keep you focused and keep you focused on the right things. So it's so important that we have godly counsel. And this is really who Paul is to the Thessalonians. Now, next week, we'll talk about the importance of the Thessalonians to Paul. Uh, so it's a two-way street. It's not just that Paul's given all the advice, because uh, next week you'll, you'll see in chapter 3, Paul's also saying, I was about done. I was about, I'm tired. I'm, I'm really just wiped out. But because of your faith, it's encouraged me. Because of what I see God doing in you, it's refueled me. It's kept me focused on the mission and mandate. So you see, community is that we need one another. We need each other. Paul needed the Thessalonian church. The Thessalonian church needed Paul. Uh, and you know, multiply that 2,000 years later. We all need each other. You know, we live in a culture and a world today where it looks like churches don't get along. But the reality is we all need each other. The reality is we all need one another. I'm so thankful there's a lot of different churches right here in Imperial and Coriolis because we're not going to reach every person. Look, we all have a, a, a vision and a personality and, a, and there's, there's like differences that we have, but those differences don't separate us from the gospel. Those differences are just, you know, uh, you know maybe the worship's different here. Maybe they sing hymns over here. You know, maybe they, they like certain things there. Look, the reality is... Uh, Certain people are going to like this church and certain people are going to like that church. That's all okay. We're not competing with one another. We're doing the kingdom work together. We're doing this mission that God's called us together. And someday we're all going to worship in heaven together. Not as, not as uh, Catholics and Lutherans and non-denominationals and Protestants. You know, that's the wahoo crazy section and that's the, the only sing hymn section. Look, it's all going to be united for Jesus, all right? And so... God receives all the glory for all those things. But that's really, we need to remember that when we're here on earth. The churches are working together. We're not fighting over each other. It's not about who has more people in their church. It's all about making sure every person knows the gospel of Jesus. And making sure, we're not assuming that anyone else is going to do it. We're all going to take the mandate and the priority and the purpose of saying everybody needs to hear this gospel. And really, I don't know about you, but I really don't care if it's that church down the street or this church or that, that church over there. If, if they reach somebody, hey, congrats, great, we love you, we're so thankful. We all needed to hear the gospel. And we all heard it from different people in different places and different relationships. And this is what the book of Thessalonians is all about. Godly counsel. Let's talk about godly counsel for a second. One of the things that we see is, is Paul writing to them. Remember, he's in Corinth, and he's writing this letter. Now, in today's terms, we can get information very quickly, can't we? So if we wanted to encourage a church in 
Thessalonica. Within seconds, we could probably send a text message or a Facebook message or however we communicate. We could have it there so quickly, couldn't we? So in a lot of ways, Jesus said, you'll do even greater things than I because we have resources that Jesus didn't have in the moment. We can encourage other churches. We can encourage other brothers and sisters. We can encourage one another in a blinking of eye. Where Paul had to send a letter, and he didn't even have the U.S. Postal Service. He didn't have FedEx one day, Amazon Prime. He didn't have any of that. If he wanted to get a letter from Corinth to the Thessalonians, he also didn't trust the government mail because they're not for the church. He literally had to say, hey, Silas, hey, Timothy, hey, Barnabas, I've got a burden for the Thessalonians, and I I need to send them a letter. And he'd write the letter. Sometimes in prison, he'd write the letter. And he'd hand that letter to whoever his disciple was at the time, and that disciple would begin the journey of delivering the letter to the church. Can you imagine that? I mean, we have snail mail today, but nothing like that, right? We put a stamp on it. And we, we hope it gets to where it's going to go. Most of the time it does, right? But if Paul wanted to get encouragement to his brothers and sisters, it had to be intentional, very thought through, very purposeful. And remember, he's not there. So a lot of times he's praying for them or the Holy Spirit's telling them, hey, I need you to encourage them in this way. And he would write it in a letter and then he would send it with his disciples and his disciples would deliver it. And how many of you have ever come to church on a Sunday and God's given you the word that you need in the exact time, but nobody, nobody in the room knew what you were going through, but God gave you the exact message that you needed or the exact word. Maybe it was a song, maybe it was a message, maybe it was just somebody that prayed for you or a hug out in the hallway. You just needed that and it came at the right time. How many of you have experienced that? Well, I'm sure this letter fell in the Thessalonians' lap at the right time. I'm sure it fell in the leadership in the church's lap at the right time. And what we see is Paul really praising the church, really praising them at this moment and saying, hey, guys, I'm proud of you. Thank you for doing what you're doing. And here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. Here's what he writes to them. He says, knowing, beloved brethren, that you... Your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. And in the Holy Spirit, and as much assurance as you know what kind of men were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say a thing. For, these, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we've had to you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And here's Paul writing the church saying, hey, guys, I'm so proud of what's happening. I'm, I'm hearing, I'm seeing that, that faith that you received from Jesus when we came that one day. You not only received the word, but you received the word with power. The Holy Spirit came upon you. You were saved. You were changed. You were transformed. And everything began to change for you. And now, because you've been living, you've been an imitator of Christ. You've been an imitator of God. Now your faith has reached Macedonia and Achaia and even further than that. Paul is saying, look, Thessalonians, I'm so proud that not only did you receive Jesus, not only did you stop worshiping idols, 
and begin worshiping the true God. But now you're transforming lives all over the city. Remember in Acts where he said, those people, speaking of Paul and Silas, that were turning the world upside down are now turning our world upside down. Now Thessalonica is becoming a place of the gospel. Now we're seeing churches pop up in Macedonia, Achaia, Thessalonica. The world's getting turned upside down in our country, and they're upset about that. They're frustrated about that. Here's what godly counsel is really important, and I don't know if you have someone like this in your life, but Paul says what's important about godly counsel is it keeps your eyes focused on the right thing. Now, it doesn't mean that we always do the right thing. This is why we need godly counsel. This is why we need community. This is why we need one another. This is why I love coming to Sundays, right? I love worshiping together. There's not a Sunday, I don't think, in uh, very many years where I haven't left. I'm always left, left here encouraged. I've always left here saying, boy, I needed that. I've always left here with love and joy and, and seeing all of you. I've always left this place in that way. I, I don't think there's been a time, uh, maybe once when we were going through a really hard time a few years ago, uh, but even then, I still needed to gather I still needed to be together. I don't remember a time coming into church saying, boy, that was awful, being angry. Now, maybe awful with the way I spoke the message, but not, not at you. Never angry, always encouraged, always uplifted, always feeling fulfilled. You know, that's day one, so now I can go through the next six days because I was filled up here. It's never a checkbox. It's never I did that, so I'm done. There's always... This aspect of community, I need you and you need me. And we all need Jesus. And I pray that's what Sundays are for you. It's a time not only to worship and give glory and exalt this wonderful God that we worship, we love that we have a relationship with him, but there's also an aspect of we need one another. We need to encourage one another. We need the counsel from one another. And if you don't believe me, sometimes, uh, well, you're going to go through hard times. Jesus never said, when you become a Christian, everything will be hunky-dory, did he? Everything will be easy-peasy. Right? He says, you're going to find trouble, but don't lose heart, is what he said. You're going to come upon trouble, but don't lose heart. So how do we not lose heart? We need one another. We need that godly counsel. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, um, yeah, I don't, I don't remember there was anything stressful or anything that was, um, you know, maybe that was distracting me, but, uh, but it just is so good to receive counsel. It's so good to receive something from somebody, to get, a, to get a letter like this, you know, in your mailbox. Have any of you gotten something like this, like a letter or a text or a message? Somebody that you loved, somebody that you knew loved the Lord and uh, they didn't know what was going on in your life for whatever they, but for whatever reason, they felt a burden to pray for you or they felt a burden to send you something or a card or, or just maybe they saw you on Sunday and just say, you know, you've been on my mind. I've been praying for you. And you know how much that means to you. Uh, you know, we all need that. We all need godly counsel. Look, I have uh, the elders. Of course, I have the staff. But I also have a group of guys in Dallas that I get to talk to. Uh, it, really, it really is a privilege for me. They always say it's a privilege for them. But I always say it, it means much more to me than you. Uh, but they'll, you know, they'll occasionally send text messages. And, you know, they don't, they're in Dallas. They have no idea what's happening here at Westridge. But uh, I just wanted to share kind of 
like one of those I've got from uh, recently. It was on March 3rd. I got a text from uh, one of the guys. Name is Stephen Pritt. In fact, he's been going through a lot in his life, and uh, you know, I hadn't talked to him in quite some time. You know, we, we just would send texts back and forth or emails. Uh, but he sent this on March 3rd, just a few weeks ago. He said, John, hope you had a great Sunday. It was right after our services. Um, felt led to pray for you this morning. Keep going. You're doing more than you know for the kingdom. More than you know for the kingdom. You know, these are just good reminders. It keeps your focus on what's important. It keeps your focus on the kingdom. It keeps your focus on what you're called to. Why did God save you? It wasn't just so you could get in heaven. Of course, Eternity is one of the promises, is one of the blessings. But there's a plan and purpose that we all have as a community together that we're to work towards. And that's the point of godly counsel is to keep you focused on the mission. That's why Paul said, hey guys, great job reaching those cities. Great job being an imitator for Christ. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Keep going. But if you look deeper into Thessalonians, I just read you out of Acts. Was everything going well for them? No, they're being persecuted. There's people saying things about them that aren't true. There's lies that have been thrown out. There's things that the enemy is doing to try to get them off the target, to get them away from the gospel. People are slandering them. People are saying, hey, you're uncircumcised. You're not saved. Who do you think you are teaching about this Messiah? You don't know the Messiah. You're not one of us. Your church is going to fail. We've seen churches like yours. They'll fall. They'll fail. Look, it wasn't like everything was easy for them. And this letter comes to them at a time where they really needed to hear from Paul. And as you'll learn next week, Paul needed to hear from them. But this is what godly counsel does, is it keeps your focus on what needs to be focused on. And it doesn't mean the things around you, the people, the posts, the tweets, the emails, the conversations. Look, sometimes those are hurtful. Sometimes they're just straight out not true. Sometimes they're lies. Sometimes they're, they're purposeful messages meant to get you off of target. It doesn't mean that that doesn't stop happening. Look, I want it to stop happening, don't you? I sure want people not to say things that aren't true about us. I sure want people to stop talking badly about the church. But, but remember, we're not fighting against people. We're fighting against an enemy that hates God that really hates the church and is really up against you. And sure, he's going to influence people to say hurtful things from time to time. So what do you do with that? What do you do when that happens? Because it's going to happen. And how do we know it's going to happen? It's going to happen until Jesus comes and throws him into a pit for quite some time and then Jesus is going to reign for a while. Or we're going to be in heaven and we'll be taken away from all of that. This is what I love about Thessalonians. Maybe uh, this will, if you've never read this book, this will give you a little teaser. Paul talks about the coming of Jesus six times in Thessalonians. There's so many great things. And so uh, it's in chapter four or five. We're not going to get there today. In fact, I might just not even teach about that. Is that okay? No. You'd be like, no, no, I want to know about that. Six times he talks about the coming of Christ, more than any other one of his writings. Now, he writes about the coming of Jesus in every letter he writes, but in Thessalonians, he spends a lot more time reminding them, hey, here's the promise, here's the promise, here's the promise. And so we'll talk about that in a couple weeks, but uh, I just want you to see, look, we're all placed in a world that's not for God. 
Remember, we don't spend eternity here. But we're here to bring people to eternity. And we have a limited time. We have a window of time. And we, none, of us, none of us in this room know when that time will stop. But until that time stops, we're to be like Paul, like the church of Thessalonians, to say, hey, let me tell you about how I met Jesus. Let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. And all of us can do that. Don't allow yourself or the enemy to say, well, you're not good enough to do that. You're not strong enough. You don't know the Bible well enough. Look, this is a young church. Jesus just died in 33. Thessalonians was just planted in 49. These people just heard the gospel in 49. In AD 50, there was a court case that happened, an important court case. You can read about it in Acts 15. It was called the Jerusalem Council. You know what the Jerusalem Council ruled? This was the council that was over the Jewish church. The, Jewish, uh, the, the Jerusalem council ruled on a couple things, but the main thing they said in the Jerusalem council in AD 50 was this. They said that it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not. You can receive the Holy Spirit and be saved without circumcision. That was a big deal for Thessalonians. That was a big deal for every Gentile church that was ever planted because they had been ridiculed by the Jews for, for years because of this. But Paul went to that council and said, you're wrong. Paul stood up and said, that's not the truth. That is not what Jesus Christ said. And from AD 50 on, that was eradicated. That was totally destroyed. The enemy had tried to bring this in to divide the church. And because some people stood for the truth and stood in persecution and stood in being imprisoned and stood there even though people were hurling insults at him because people stood for the truth and because... Uh, because they had some good godly counsel that's focused on the word and stayed focused on the word. Something happened. Something changed. The church changed. The world changed. And this is what good godly counsel does. You see, we sit here and think, well, I can't change the world. Yes, you can. It's because Jesus is the one that changes the world. We just got to be faithful to be part of the body of Christ and keep walking. And if you love Toby Mac, you're singing a song right now. Keep walking. Keep walking. Let me show you some good, what good godly counsel does. Let me, and maybe you're in a place today where you need this. Uh, I believe many of you will be or many of you are. Let me show you a few, uh, few things that godly counsel does. Now, remember, godly counsel and the Bible itself, Romans 12, 2, is, is it trains you how to think differently. And godly counsel reminds you how to continue to think differently. When you have a, a man or woman that loves Jesus, look, you're going to go through things in your life, and these people just come alongside you and say, hey, don't get distracted. Don't get misguided. Stay focused on what is true, what is noble, what is good, what is pure. Stay focused on what God's called you to do. The enemy is going to try to distract you. In fact, your own flesh sometimes wants to take you. And look, to be honest with you, all of us have gotten distracted. But good godly counselor says, hey, John, or insert your name, hey, remember Remember what God's done. You're doing a great work. Stay focused. We're all part of the same body. We're all part of the same mission. Here's what Paul said. Here's a couple of verses. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. Paul says this, God tests our hearts. How many of you have ever said that? God tests our hearts. What I love about this is he's retraining our mind how to think. And what's happening is, as people are saying things about the church of Thessalonians, or maybe people are saying things about you. 
They're saying things that aren't true. They're saying things that are hurtful, or they're saying things that are creating your mind to go crazy. You're overthinking things. You're, you're, you're saying things about yourself that aren't true because you're hearing it from people. And maybe you're sitting here today, maybe you're a people pleaser. Anybody a people pleaser? This will help you tremendously. Here's what Paul says. Let's read it together. Verse 4. Verse 4. Here's what he says. Now, look, I'll go back to on the contrary, but he starts off, on the contrary, we speak of those approved by God to be entrusted with this gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God, who test our hearts. So if you're a people pleaser, I want you to start asking yourself this question. Am I doing this to get approval from people? Or am I getting the, doing this to approve, get approved from God? You see, because in the Thessalonian church, the people wanted them to change. The people wanted them to stop worshiping Jesus. The people wanted them to stop spreading the gospel. The people wanted them to stop preaching Jesus because they're saying Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. Caesar is the king. And you better stop saying it or I'll put you in jail. So if they would have been people pleasers, they would have had to compromise their message. If it's about pleasing everybody, we could never live for God because we'd have to compromise our message. And so Paul says, this is what good godly counsel says. He says, hey guys, you know that you're called by God. Contrary to what all they're saying, so here's what Paul's saying. There's people saying stuff. There's people that are saying things contrary to what God says about you. There's people saying things contrary to the gospel you receive. There's people saying things contrary to what you know to be true. So what do you do with that? If you're here to please people, you need to ask yourself the question, am I going to let, we say the world, but am I going to let the enemy infect the message that Jesus has given me? Am I going to allow the enemy to steal the joy that God's given me? Am I going to allow the enemy to steal the truth that Christ has given me? Or am I going to keep focused? Am I going to stay standing for the truth? Am I going to allow pleasing people that I have to be a people pleaser, that I have to be, make everyone happy? Is that, is that the way I'm going to live my life? And if you're a people pleaser, you know it doesn't work. You've been trying to do it your whole life. And guess what? Not everyone's happy, are they? So people-pleasing is a, is a lie. It's something the enemy has thrown in there to get you distracted, to get you away from thinking. The only person you need to please is Jesus. Amen. The only person you need to please is God. And this is Paul's godly counsel. He's saying, look, church, stop focusing on what everybody's saying. Stay focused on the one that saved you. Stay focused on the mission. Stay focused on the mandate. This is what good godly counsel does. Look, I know you want to please everybody. And maybe you're sitting here saying, well, isn't that what we're supposed to do? <clears throat> isn't that what the gospel's for? Isn't it there to help everybody? Yes. If you're living, if you're being an imitator of Christ, if you're living, your heart is like God, guess what? You are going to love people. You are going to give people love, and you're going to give them joy, and it's going to be a blessing to them. Whether they're a believer or an unbeliever, if you're being like Christ, it will be a blessing to them. But you're not doing it for their approval. You're living this life because you've received it from Christ and now you're being like Christ. You're not doing it for approval. You're not doing it for works. You're not doing it to gain salvation. You're not doing it to get closer 
uh, in some way, some form of fashion in your mind that if I do this many good things, it'll be better in eternity. There certainly will be a reward and God will bless you, but that's not why you're doing it. You're doing it because that's who you are. That's who you are. And you know it pleases God. And regardless of what people say, we know it's God that tests our hearts. Someday, this is what Paul talks about later on, someday we'll stand before Jesus, the one that tests our hearts. We're not going to stand against all the people that said those things. You see, on earth, sometimes we think, if we're people pleasers, we think, I've got to make all of these people happy. But you know what? When it's all over, you're not standing before all those people. You're standing before one person, and that's Jesus. And that's why Paul said, this is good godly counsel for you, church. It's good godly counsel for you, people pleasers. Remember, it's God that tests our hearts, not people. It's God that tests our hearts. The second thing he said was this. The second word of godly counsel he gave the Thessalonian church was this. God is our witness. God is our witness. Now, why did he say that? Let's just read the verse. Knowing what you know, reading Acts 17, now you know. 1 Thessalonians 2, 5 says, You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. So what is he trying to say? Another translation says, you're just doing this to get their money. The New Living Translation says, they're giving the gospel to you just so you'll give money. How many people have you talked to say that's why they won't go to church? I won't go to church because they want my money. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying that right now. Look, we don't need your money. We worship a God that made it all. If I need anything, I'm going to go to him. But this is what is happening to them in the church. Maybe this is what's happening to you. As people are saying things that aren't true. Oh, Paul and Silas, they just, they just said these flattery words so they could have another number on the books. So they could get your money. So they, they use coercion. They use manipulation. They just want you to be a believer of Jesus, but they, they manipulated you. They fooled you. They deceived you. And Paul's saying, you know that's not true. Who's my witness, them or God? God's my witness. I came with the right heart. I came with a pure heart. I came to give you the gospel. It's God that tests my heart. It's God that, that is my witness. I'm not standing at a, at a judge that rules my life. I'm not standing against a whole bunch of people. I'm standing against Jesus Christ himself. And he knows the purity of my heart. And you know the purity of my heart because you saw it that day you were saved. You saw that the Holy Spirit came upon you, not only in word, but in power. And you saw that it changed you. You saw that not only did it change you, but you've reached cities upon cities and people upon people. Why? Because you've been faithful to God, not because you've been faithful to what they said. Because God is your witness and because God tests your hearts, you keep remaining faithful, Church of Thessalonians. Keep remaining faithful. People will always say what they're going to say. The enemy always has something negative to say. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's out to deceive and steal and kill and destroy. Stay focused. Stay on task, church, is what Paul is saying. Then he said, I've been gentle among you, which seems kind of strange. In verse uh, 7 of chapter 2, he says, um, 
But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. That's pretty gentle, isn't it? So what's Paul trying to say? What's the counsel he's trying to give them? Because all the people, the Jews and the Greeks, the government and the religious leaders are saying, they forced this on you. They made you convert. They made you receive the gospel. And Paul says, you know that's not true. Now many of you, most of you have received Jesus as Lord and Savior. True? Was it forceful? Did he force it on you? Was it loving? Was it graceful? Was it gentle? Was it forgiving? And this is what Paul's saying. The gospel isn't forceful. Look, don't get misguided. Don't get off track. Don't let people tell you things that aren't true. He says this in verse 13. Watch just a few verses later. He's writing to them about the same idea. He says this, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works and you who believe. And Paul says, see, you know, it's not true because what you received weren't words from me. They were words from God. And those words from God changed you. Those words from God transformed you and effectively are working through you. It wasn't forced. It wasn't manipulated. It was gentle. It was beautiful. It was loving. It was kind. It was good. It was full of grace and mercy. And now it's working through you. Now it's working through you. Can you see how the church might have needed this? Because they're getting berated from all sides. And maybe you are today. Maybe there's something happening in your life where it feels like everything is coming against you. I hope you're hearing the godly counsel from Paul saying, look, it's it's God that tests your hearts. It's not what people say about you. It's not what that post said. It's not that email or text that you received. Maybe even a letter that was written about you. It's not about that. Certainly that may have been hurtful. But you know it's right and you know it's true. And it's not about what everybody else says. It's God that tests your heart. It's God that's your witness. And so you remain faithful on what is constant and what is true. You know it's right and you know it's true. And God does too. And so today, if you're just feeling like you're tired or you're whooped or you're beat up, please know that Paul knows what you're talking about. Because he literally was beat up. He literally was tired. He was getting it from all sides. But no, there's a God that has all things under his feet. And your situation can be changed just as well as Paul's. Because it seemed like this was a lose-lose battle, that the Gentiles would never be accepted by the Jerusalem church, that they would never be grafted into this gospel, that Jesus said that we'd be grafted in. It didn't seem possible until one day they're standing in court and saying, you're grafted in. We welcome you. Why? Sometimes you just got to have some grit. Sometimes you got to keep standing you got to remember the God that saved you. you got to remember how much he loves you. He's not against you. He's for you. 
You've got to remember that all things are under his feet. And that same truth applies to you because you're the body. And he's using you as your church. He's using you as his church. He's the head. And we're supposed to be united with this body. We're part of the community, the body of Christ. And we're all doing this together. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. But if look, if you get shifted or you get away from what God's called you to do, you need that godly counsel. You need those people. That's why it's so important that you're connected to the body, that we're serving together, that we're loving together, that we're doing life together. Look, get involved. Get plugged in. You're not serving me. You're serving him. Be part of this kingdom work. Be part of this plan. Be part of taking this gospel outside of this room and into your workplaces, into your families, into your communities, because that's what it's about. I love this. We need this meeting. We need this encouragement. We need this godly counsel every single week. We need this worship. We need to put our focus on Jesus the first and first day of every week. We need to put him first because he takes care of the rest. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll take care of everything else. This is what worship is. Seek him first. Apply his principles, his values, his teachings. I'll know my disciples by, by how? Those that receive my word, receive my teachings. I'll take care of the rest. Don't worry, don't fret, don't be anxious. Then he says, you be... You have became imitators. This is where Paul begins to shift and say, you know what I'm so proud about? Is that among all this trial, among all this tribulation, among all this persecution, among all this backbiting and people saying lies and deception around you, look at how you acted. Verse 14, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea and Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. This was before the council, and he's saying, look, amongst all that, you kept being an imitator of Christ. You kept being the body. You kept being love. You kept being gentleness. Your enemies were saying things, and you kept being Christ to them. And you know what? That's what turned the world upside down. That's what led Macedonia to Christ. That's what led the Achaia to Christ. That's why God is using you, because you're choosing. You're choosing. You know it's God that tests your hearts. You know it's God that is your witness. You know it's God that is filling you and using you, and you can't stop that. You can't stop that power because God is in you and through you, and I'm proud of you, and keep it up. I know it's hard sometimes. I know you're going to feel tension sometimes. I know people aren't always going to like what you're doing, but remember the God that saved you. Remember the relationship you have with Christ. Remember that he's the head, and we can always go to the head. He's always there for you. And then I I love this last statement that Paul said in verse Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18. He said this, he said, because he's in Corinth and they're in Thessalonica, they're 400 miles apart from each other. In verse 18, he said this, therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, I wanted to come see you. But what happened? Satan blocked us. He hindered us. How many of you have ever said that statement? Man, I was coming, but Satan stopped me. Wouldn't it be great to see that clearly? God is doing this, and Satan is doing this. Look, my intention, my desire, my goal was to come, but I got blocked. But don't worry, I'm coming. Don't worry, I'll be there as soon as I can. Paul said this a lot. You know one of the gifts of the Spirit is the Spirit of discernment? 
And some of us think about that and say, that's really weird. Actually, we're really weird. God's is okay. The gift of the sermon is simply seeing what God's doing and also being clear to see what the enemy's doing. And this is what Paul was saying. God's doing a great work with the gospel. I wanted to be there, but Satan somehow blocked me from coming. Do you think that stopped Paul? Do you think he just, ah, he blocked me so I can't do ministry anymore? Do you think that's what happened? We know that's not true because there's a third journey. There was Rome. We're sitting in a church because somebody named Paul said, I got to get this, this gospel out to the Gentiles. And here we are, a bunch of Gentiles, maybe some Jews in the room, here worshiping one God because the body was the body. And we overcame persecution. We overcame people saying bad things. We overcame. Well, here we are in America. You think you could do the same thing? You're the same body. Nothing's changed. Jesus is Jesus. He's above all things. But maybe you're sitting here today and just saying, John, my, there's a lot going on in my life right now. I'm hoping that you're hearing that you're not alone. Because this is another thing that godly counsel really helps you. Is as people, and especially with an enemy that's trying to take you away, many times here's what we say. I'm the only one going through this. Has anybody said that? No, you're not. No, you're not. In fact, what Paul was saying to the Thessalonians is this. I know you're being persecuted. I know you're suffering. I know they're saying bad things because they did it to me too. But a lot of times this is what we do in the flesh or this is what the enemy's trying to get you to do. He's trying to isolate you and say, you're the only one going through this. You're such a bad person. You can't worship Jesus because you did this. You can't worship Jesus because of this. Or you're not worthy to spread the gospel because of this. And you think you're the only person going through it. But I'm telling you, in this room, there's probably 10 people that went through the same thing. Sure, different experience, but the same root. And this is where great godly counsel comes in to say, hey, I may not understand the exact situation, but I've went through it too. And I need you to know the same God that saved you saved me. The same gospel that changed me changed you. And you know what Jesus said? It, it takes faith like a mustard seed to move what? Now, can God move a physical mountain? He sure can. He sure can. So don't give up on that. But maybe the mountain he's trying to move is this situation in your life. And it just takes a little bit of faith. It takes you saying, God, I'm, I'm uniting with what you're saying. This is what I'm going through. But I want to keep my focus on you, not on the problem. Because this is a lot of times what happens, church, is we get so focused on the problem. We get so focused on what the enemy's doing. And this is why Paul said, look, he called it out. He put the card on the, on the deck. And he said, look, the, it, the enemy's trying to, just, he's trying to keep me away from you. But a lot of times when we're only focused on the enemy and focused on the problem and focused on the negative, we're missing the kingdom. And it's not that God doesn't love you. It's not that we don't make mistakes. But this is why you need godly counsel in your life to say, hey, do you think this problem is new? 
10 years from now, this problem will gone away. Stay focused on the Word of God. Stay focused on God's promises. Stay focused that God is for you. Stay focused on God has a plan for you. Stay focused on that Jesus has a word for you. Remember, it's God that tests your hearts, not man. Remember that it's God that is your witness, not what other people say. Remember that God came to you with a gentle word, a loving word, a saving word, a graceful word, a merciful word. He's not out to get you. He's out to bless you and love you. And remember, you keep being an imitator of Christ. I don't care what the problem is. I don't care what the, what the temptation is. You keep choosing Christ. You keep choosing Christ. That will always be a blessing to you and to others. Be an imitator. I know the pressure's there. I know the words are there. I know the hurt's there. But you keep choosing Jesus. And see that it won't help you. And maybe that's the one thing that's separating you from conquering this mountain. Is that you've allowed the tension, you've allowed the enemy to tempt you to make a decision away from Christ. Just repent and say, I'm sorry, and choose and live differently, start thinking differently. And let's see if that mountain won't move. Look, I don't know what the mountain is. And I don't need to know. I'm just here to point you to the one that moves mountains. I'll be honest, I can't move a mountain, neither can you. But all Jesus has to say is, move, and it's moved. Godly counsel always brings you back to the one that's above all. Brings you to the head, right? The body doesn't operate without the head. Try it sometime. No head. Stand your feet. I want to pray for you. Lloyd, my brother, you don't need to stand, my friend. I certainly love that you try, that you get up. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, if there's anybody that feels like the Thessalonian church today, maybe they just feel the world is against them. They feel the hurt and the pain. The words of people, the words of the enemy are just so overwhelming. I pray you'd meet them today. I pray they would know that you're, you're the one that knows their heart. You're the one that knows who they are. You know, you're the one that knows why you've made them. You're the one that saved them. And maybe today you haven't been saved. Today's the day. You can receive Jesus right now. The same God that saved Paul, the same God that saved all these Thessalonians can save you. The same gospel of peace and grace and gentleness is available for you. Look, if you're here today and you just, you need a mountain to move, let me ask you this first. If you're here today and you need to receive Jesus, will you just lift your hand? Maybe you need to come back to him again, or maybe you need to receive Jesus for the first time. Can you lift your hand? Come on, anyone else? Put the hand up there. If you're here today and you just need a mountain to move, could you lift your hand? I just, there's something going on. You need God to answer. I see your hands. Come on, anyone else? I see your hands. Thank you, thank you. There's a mountain, a mountain of, maybe it's debt, maybe it's a mountain of words, 
Maybe it's a mountain of pain. Maybe it's a, a job, a relationship. But you need God to answer. And as a church and a community of believers, can we lift our hands together? Let's just pray together. Let's just believe a God that is the same today, tomorrow, and forever. Jesus, we need you. God, there's some people right here that need you. Some are coming back to you or giving their life to you for the first time. They need your salvation. They need your grace. They need your mercy. And God, I know you're a God of faithfulness. You would give it to them just as you've given it to us. So if that's you and you're receiving Jesus for the first time, just say, God, forgive me. I'm repenting of my ways and God, I'm, I'm receiving you. God, thank you for forgiving my sins. I receive you and now I will be your disciple. I will be your follower. I'm choosing to live for you. God, for those that have mountains to move, I'm praying for answers. God, you know every answer. You know every mountain. You know every hill and every valley. You own them all. And the literal, but in our minds or whatever we're going through, you also know what's happening in our lives. And so, God, I pray. Lord, as you said in Matthew 6, you said you don't need to worry. You don't need to be anxious. You don't need to make something happy. You just need to come to me. Seek first my kingdom and seek my righteousness and see that I won't take care of this mountain and that mountain and every mountain you ever encounter. I will be the God that speaks and loves and directs and guides and helps and maybe even just eradicates a judgment against you that was unfair and a lie, just like at the Jerusalem Council that day. I will bring my truth. My truth will always live on for all eternity. My word is a blessing to you. My truth and my promises are a blessing to you. And so God, we're praying right now as a church, as your body. Lord, answer my brothers and sisters' needs, whatever they are, answer them. But God, bring your truth, bring your principles, bring your values, bring your character, bring your integrity, bring whatever it is you wanna bring into our lives to move this mountain. And God, we thank you right now in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. Let's worship together.